Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to continue on right now with our series, um, <clears throat> The Armor of God. Now, if you missed any of the, uh, the first couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and catch them on either Facebook or YouTube. They'll be up on the podcast later this week. <clears throat> um, but they were two messages that kind of set the foundation for what we're about to go through these next couple of weeks through the armor of God. And so um, just real quickly, if you missed the first week, it's the first line in your notes. Um, for everybody, week one, we identified our role as soldiers. Paul continually refers to uh, believers in Christ in in Ephesians and Philippians. He tells Philemon, he tells Timothy, his own personal friends. Um, he kind of uses this language of being a soldier and not, and he's encouraging them not to get caught up in the affairs of civilian life. So um, week number two, we identified our enemy and his tactics. And that's lying in your notes. We identified our enemy and his tactics. I should say some of them because his tactics are pretty, are pretty expansive. But we, some of the big ones that we identified last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this week, we're going to start looking at the armor God has given to us as his children. Okay. So this, this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, the very end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, is going to be the foundation that we're going to read every week as part of this series. So I'll read it out loud for your hearing. You can follow along just quietly in your notes. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. <clears throat> A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. <clears throat> then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from good news so that you will be fully prepared. And in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. <clears throat> so what I wanted to do is, is I wanted to kind of give us a picture of what this armor looked like. And the reason that Paul is talking this way to the people that are in um, that are in Ephesus is that that when he uses this language, he's writing to people who are very familiar with the Roman army. They're in some way, shape, or form. Their area has been occupied, overcome, conquered um, by the by the Romans, and so they're very, very familiar with how the the Roman uh, soldier would dress for battle. They're very familiar with it. So he's using something that's familiar, familiar for them. Now, when you Google the armor of God, 95% of the things you're going to find is some little weird, you know, well, I mean, let me, let me not say that. You're going to find uh, children's drawings of these things of like, you know, like a nine-year-old drew the thing or something, you know what I mean? Or like a cartoon character with some little guy like holding a little sword and a shield, right? So I'm going to show you kind of a picture that is kind of the closest thing I could find that was not like for, for children. So Jules, go ahead and show me that first picture. And I know this is kind of like more movie-esque, like with the mood and everything. But <clears throat> what you'll notice here 
is uh, all the different pieces of the armor that we just read are represented in this picture. Now, this may not be entirely accurate for every Roman soldier who ever existed, every platoon, but this is the general idea of what the armor, he's using this as a point of reference for all the people that he's writing to, <clears throat> so it's good for us to kind of get a visual here about this. So what we're going to start this week talking about is the first one in the scripture, in the, in the, in the passage we read, and it's the belt of truth. Now, what you'll, <clears throat> what you'll notice here is that the belt was a wildly important piece of armor because it was central to the fit and placement of other pieces of armor. So you'll see how um, it, it covers kind of the, the middle section, and then it has these long straps. Some of them have metal at the end. Some of them have metal behind them and leather covering them. But they go from the waist to the kneecaps, and they cover that general from your gut to your kneecaps. The core of you is what it's supposed to be protecting. <clears throat> okay? So next line in your notes, there's three bullet points. The belt, um, the soldier's belt protected the soldier's core. The core. The other thing that's very unique and interesting about how this piece of armor is placed and how it's used is the next line, the next, uh, next line in your notes says, it kept the breastplate in place. <clears throat> Excuse me. It kept the breastplate in place. So if you'll notice here in this picture, there's not really a big delineation in space between the, the belt and the breastplate. That's because the breastplate actually attached to the belt as a way to keep both of them in place. Okay? And the third and the third line is it held the weight of the sword. It held the weight of the sword. <clears throat> okay, we'll go with that one. So, when we talk about the belt of truth, that leads us to a question. What is truth? We're going to talk about that as we get um, deeper into the message, but I want to talk first about what the culture, how the culture has distorted truth for everyone. How the general idea of what we hear as being quote-unquote true from the culture has been presented and how it's being ingested by, by all of us who are quote-unquote consumers of it, okay? Our, next line in your notes, our culture prioritizes visibility over truth. Our culture pro prioritizes visibility over truth. <clears throat> How do we know this? Look at our kids. In every generation, not just this one, but the, what you'll find is the most impressionable kids, the most impressionable people in our society, in our culture, are the youngest. That's why parents work really hard in trying to make the right decisions about friends, who should I let in the house, who should I run off from the house, you know, when should I allow them to have you know, uh, internet access or a phone or unsupervised and all these different things, and he struggles as there's not really a, you know, like a, just a, a boilerplate answer for any of these things, right? It's like looking at your kid, looking where they're at, how they're doing, you know, how they're responding to you, and how, how do you protect from all these outside influences is because they're the most vulnerable to influence. They're the most vulnerable to outside influence um, from outside of our home. <clears throat> now, you might say, how do you know this? Because I went to high school. <clears throat> 
and so did most of y'all. And if you're not there, you're going to see this uh, maybe already in your middle schools or something. But um, so I'm going <laughs> to let me give you a real life example. Okay, so I was uh, driving my 1977 Pontiac Firebird um, that had a big old it was teal and had a big old Starsky and Hutch racing stripe that I bought for $390 from a friend of mine in his front yard, and grass had grown all around that thing. It was like redneck heaven, right? It had no AC. I lived in Florida with the, you know, the sweat pouring down my face every time I was going to work or anywhere. I'd roll the windows down. It didn't help. It didn't help. It was like, it was like a wet blow dryer just on your face the whole time, right? <clears throat> and so I, was, I had to sneak out of the house to listen to non-Christian music, so I would just go drive, and I would kick on the radio, and I felt just super rebellious. Like, I just turned the dial away from the Christian radio station to, the, to like, the one that was playing popular music, and I'm like, I'm living on the edge, bro. <clears throat> and so I, here I am driving in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the Florida heat. I'm driving down the road, down US 19, you know, off Belcher Boulevard in Clearwater, Florida, you know, just out, outside Tampa, thus the Buccaneer loyalty, which I got derailed, sorry. Um, but... I, all of a sudden, on what comes on the radio, song I was just jamming to. Dun, 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 can't touch this. Dun, 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 dun. I'm like, oh, yeah. My love makes me want to say, oh, my Lord. And then I didn't know the rest of the words, right? All I knew was, oh, my Lord. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm too Christian. You know what I mean? All I remember in the secular song is, oh, my Lord. You know, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of rolling through and I'm listening to the song and everybody who knows MC Hammer, right? Anybody remember MC Hammer? Um, Rick James. Oh, Rick James. No, not. Okay. We're gonna <laughs> I didn't mean to shout out your favorite artist, <laughs> but I got you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Thank you, Ross, for, for listening, participating. That's awesome. So everybody remembers MC Hammer and, you know, he's a, he turned out to be a pastor for a while. I haven't found him lately, but he was preaching in a church for a while. Is he still there? Is he still preaching in a church? Anybody know? He was pastoring for a long time, and, uh, but this was his famous get-up. Everybody remembers it. Show that picture right there. Bam! It looked like theater curtains. Somebody sewed legs on the theater curtains, right? Either that or someone stole Santa's backpack with all the gifts that they were going to deliver and just said, hey, wear these. This would be cool. <clears throat> the reason that I know that kids are impressionable, because everybody looked at this and was like, that's awesome. That is what I want to wear. And no matter how hard you tried, and even if you were brave enough to have a pair of these pants, it never looked like this. I mean, this is bad enough. This looks like, you know, like the genie came out of the bottle, right? Just with the whole, like, the short and the gold and the red. And the, he was wearing, like, these, like, church dress shoes kind of, too, if you can kind of see them, like, shiny black, you know, like, tie dr church dress shoes when he was dancing all around. And I saw an interview, and somebody asked him, why do you wear those? He's like, well, I just... You know, like to be free when I dance. And I'm like, but you need like that to be free when you dance? And it never looked like this. It always looked like the next picture. This is how it always came out, right? The first one was bad, you know, was not, not like, wasn't, didn't really work. But this is how it played out in the real world. Just some dorky guy with some West Coast lokes on and just trying to have this. Now, I knew kids who loved these pants. I knew the kids that loved them, right? Everybody's like, those are awesome. And if you're older than that, you might remember the Michael Jackson glove. Only one glove, not two of them, just one. 
It was shiny and white, right? Like beaded, like a little white glove. And why? People wanted the glove. And the jack, oh, the red jacket, yes, yes, we're going down Ross's alley right here. He is all in on this one, my man. <clears throat> and so we're, we're, they wanted the jacket. And then when MC Hammer's big, they wanted these pants. And there was some kid brave enough to wear these pants to my school. It happened once, once. And he, I don't know, if, well, I don't know what's going on, but the reason that people, especially kids, are influenced into buying into these fads is visibility. See, the visibility part, when you look at those pants, you go, hell, I go wear these. It's going to be on. Everybody's looking at me. Everybody's telling me that I'm it. I know that I'm with it. I know I'm with the times. I know that, you know, I'm looking like MC Hammer, although I don't really, but I'm doing like his thing. I'm telling everybody that I know what's good. I know what's popping. I know it's cool. I know it's all, all this. I know what it is. But the truth is, they're ridiculous. And you could sit here and, you know, cross your arms, you know, 80s babies like me and be like, well, the 70s, but I went to school in the 80s. Forget it. So uh, you could sit there during that era and go, nah, man, those are cool. Right. Do you have a pair of them in your, in your closet? Nope. And if you do, it was only because somebody had an 80s Halloween party that you went to. Right? You don't have none of them pants. That kid did 10th grade that I, that, I, that I watched, he didn't wear them pants after them one time. Nobody did. You had the glove, and eventually it went in the trash. <clears throat> or you spilled something on the white glove, didn't want to buy another one, so it just, you know, went, it disappeared one day. The jacket went away, and nobody still has them. Why? They're not functional. They're not useful. But everybody wanted it at the moment because they wanted to be seen and wanted to be known that I'm with all of the popular stuff. I'm on the edge. They prioritized the visibility over the truth that the pants were nasty. They just prioritize the visibility over the truth. Now, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a, a humorous thing, but I haven't seen anybody wear them since 10th grade. Nobody. They tried to make a comeback last year, I think. Somebody who had, like, COVID brain or something and tried to, like, bring them back, and it just didn't work. No one bought them. <clears throat> so if all of the most impressionable people are, are younger people, they're not, it's not only younger people, the most impressionable, but we're all impressionable by our culture. And those of you who are saying, nah, my guess is you probably had a pair of them pants or glove or a jacket or something that you deemed as cool that when you look back now, you're like, I hope there's no pictures of that. Thank God there was no Snapchat or TikTok videos of it that last forever on the internet. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to see those things. So what are some things that our culture promotes now that are lies? What are they trying to influence us to participate in? Lie number one. Next line on your notes. Financial responsibility doesn't matter. Now, I wanted to go general and say personal responsibility because I could probably hit that one. But I wanted to go a little bit closer because a number of reasons. First of all, our government leaders spend money and create money that's driving us into debt. Now, you might think, the current guy's terrible. Well, he ain't great at it, uh, but this has been going on since 1980. Every president since 1980, most of them in my lifetime, have 
run our country into financial trouble. You can see this reflected in the attitude of the people because they want what they want right now. They'll figure out a way to pay for it later. And the lie is, man, just get your $900 big screen right now. You don't have $900? Visa. Bam, you just make that installment payments. You'll be good. And then you don't learn how to delay gratification. You just take it right now. So the issue is kind of financial, but it's deeper. It's stewardship. It's a condition of my heart. Proverbs 21.20, the wisest man ever to live, not named Jesus, said, Precious treasure and oil are in the house of a man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, meaning that he saved and put those things in his dwelling. The other person's like, forget it, man. We're just going to do it all. We're going to gut it all right now. We're going to eat it all right now. We're not making any plans forward. Proverbs 22.7, just as the rich, young, the rich rule the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. And you'll see that a poor financial decision puts a person in a place that is stressful. It's a weight. They don't know how to pay back after a long time. The thing hangs around and around. How do I deal with it? And it becomes a larger problem. It's a lie of the culture to get what you want now and sacrifice it, put, just kick the can down the road till later. This is a financial principle, but it's also a personal principle. People want what they want right now. They sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. I don't care what it comes down the road. I want it now regardless how that impacts relationships, my job, my ability to provide for myself and my family, and so on. The massive lie of the culture. Number two, lie number two. <clears throat> a human being can be something other than a man or a woman. A human being can be something other than the man or a woman. Genesis 5, 1 through 2. This is, written, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Male, female, together, human. Now, some people who will listen to this message will say, oh, we're tackling issues now. And that is like wandering into the, into the, wading into the pool of, political and cultural controversy with all this because what he's talking about is this transgender thing. And that's going to get him. And you'd be wrong. And let me explain. This passage and this lie doesn't mean that people who struggle, struggle with gender dysphoria or have cultural confusion about human sexuality should be ridiculed. It is, however, an example of what happens when people sway and leave the truth. There is no reason for us to address or deal with anyone who's having this struggle or has bought into this lie or has been deceived, which is a tactic of the enemy, deception, for us to look at any person who's in this thing and go, there's a trans there's something matter with you, man. 
bro, I don't even know what to call you. What's your pronoun today? Non-binary? That doesn't make nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, we can come with all kinds of things that we could throw and, and, and verbally attack somebody with. But I can't find the spot in Scripture where Jesus says, ridicule those who are lost. I can't find the spot in Scripture where it says, hey, just mock them until they submit. That's the way to win them. Can't find it. Does it mean you have to participate in their fantasy, delusion, deception? No. Doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that if we are soldiers and we understand the tactics of the enemy, when somebody has been lied to or deceived, our hearts should break. Why? Because they believed something that was wrong, that was false. They believed something. They were, through the culture, through being influenced by everything else, how do I know that the majority of the people who are putting videos out in the world talking about I'm non-binary, I'm this gender, that gender, it changes during the day. The last thing I heard was someone, I want you to refer to me as demon. As their pronoun, I'm demon. I thought they were kidding. And then I had to do a little bit of searching and go, oh my gosh, you're not kidding. And we could all be like, crazy fools, man. This is messed up people. Get away from me. Or our heart could break because as people who are on mission, we can say someone has been deceived and I have to bring them the truth. And that truth doesn't have to be like, take the truth down your throat now. Or ridiculing them. It can be, hey man, let me example not the love you think of love. Let me example what the Bible says about love because it's patient. It's kind does not envy, is not jealous, it is not rude, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong, it delights, it does not delight in evil, it rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always perseveres, it never fails. Line number three. The idea of God is ridiculous. The idea of God is ridiculous. I think there's probably this idea at the moment from a public popularity scenario has probably leveled off. I think they're climaxed at the moment because there's another group of people we talked about last week, false prophets who are trying to take the teachings of Jesus and just remove Jesus from them. But I think this, the, 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 the intellectual, scientific, psychological um, experts who try to say, oh, this, the idea of God is ridiculous, um, did a, plowed its way through our country and left waves of damage. But let's read what the scripture says. Only fools say in their heart there is no God. They're corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone is seeking God. The implication here is the wise man is seeking God. If we believe there's no God, guess who come, becomes God? And whatever I want, whatever pleasure I have, 
whatever sensation I want to experience becomes the thing that I chase. And I have been lied to, and that's how we get to this place. Why are all these kids introducing themselves as all these things? Because they realize attention is prioritized in our culture over truth. Truth is boring, but I need the attention. So I'm going to say, oh, I need to educate you on what my pronouns are so you can talk to me the right way. And it puts me in a position of authority. And our culture is promoting people to do this. And the, the, irony, the irony here is our culture is producing or is promoting people to do this under the guise of love. And it is the most hateful thing you can do is allow somebody to live unchecked in their delusion. This does not mean we find people who are struggling with some type of deception, who are in some financial turmoil because of bad decisions, who, are, who believe God is ridiculous. It does not mean that we default ourselves to mocking them. It does mean that as people who are soldiers and on mission, we have to find a way to distribute the truth properly. The, the, the fear is very prevalent in our country. It's been in a bunch of different ways through centuries, but at this point, it all is based around typically sickness and health and COVID and all that kind of stuff. And so um, a while back, a relative who, you know, uh, who tested positive for COVID, and, uh, and she was really young, and as she, and she was told, and she began to cry, weep. And I asked her, what's the matter? And she goes, I have COVID. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. Not knowing that the children are probably the least, least impacted of the group. All she heard was, oh my gosh, COVID. I don't want COVID. Wear that mask. Wear that thing. Do and I'm not here to discuss your opinion on masks or vaccines or all that kind of stuff. Everybody can manipulate statistics and all they can to, to reinforce your side. What I'm saying is she was told as an impressionable person something that was completely based in fear. But it was presented as I'm doing the loving thing to help you, but it's injecting her with fear. I did what any good relative would do to a young child who said, what am I going to do when I have COVID? And I told her all her fingers are going to fall off in the next six hours. <clears throat> she looked at me with the, what? And I said, and then at nighttime, your toes are going to fall off, and we're going to have to put them all in the bag and take them to the doctor, and hopefully they don't put the wrong one on the wrong place. And she looked at me and she goes, that's not going to happen. And I said, exactly. It's not going to happen. A lot of people have been impacted by COVID. And so I'm not trying to make light of it if you've had a relative or family member, because we have had several extended family members who passed away because of complications that the disease put on them and pre-existing conditions. I understand all that. What I'm saying is and the culture wants to impress on impressionable people in the name of love, fear, and delusion. 
And the further our culture drifts away from God, the further we get away from the truth, it is no wonder that we are encouraged to arm ourselves with truth. The next time we encounter somebody, <clears throat> and this is going to be, ooh, I'm not going to be afraid. Um, I was born and raised in the South. So um, when you, whenever I, whenever I got my, um, you know, whenever I scratched, scratched my arm, it bled red, white, and blue. I cried at the national anthem, still get a little teary-eyed, military, love the military, all these guys, yay America. <clears throat> um, and as I get older, I watch more and more people look at younger generation and these people who believed deception who are of all ages and they roll their eyes and are angry because what happened to my good old U.S. of A. And most of these people are people who claim to be Christ followers. Do we fight for America more than we fight for heaven? I got to ask my own self that question from time to time. Do I fight more for, do I speak out and get angry and emotionally and invoked when people talk about, oh, America should do this and that, that and losing freedom and all this kind of stuff and people who are, you know, trying to control and suppress other people? I'm not saying that's wrong, but as the amount of time and effort and energy and thought and worry and speech that I use going into that which is temporary, America will not last forever. Or am I focused on an eternal purpose? Do I think that you shouldn't be a part of the military? No. Fight for the freedom. We need it. We enjoy it. We have so we were the, the greatest experiment to ever exist in the world. People given the right to govern themselves in freedom. But am I so worried about my personal freedom that I have disassociated from the role of the soldier that I've been given? Because remember what we talked about last week is I'm not a citizen here. I'm a citizen of heaven. What that means is when that good old boy America guy wants to rise up in me and start telling jokes, which happened a couple months ago. Somebody needs to take this younger generation out behind the school and just knock some sense into them. And it's halfway kidding with me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just joking around. But for the people who hear someone like me say that, what, I'm, what they hear is, you're disgusted with these people. You don't want to deal with them. They're sick and wrong, and you're tired of it. And I can't justify that posture with Scripture. Why? Because our enlisting officer that we talked about, Jesus, said this is his purpose, Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. doesn't say that the Son of Man uh, came to light everybody up on the Internet who he disagrees with in their sin. 
because he came to seek and to save all who were lost. And I found my own self, even in a joking posture, having to go back to the Lord and feeling conviction and being like, man, I shouldn't even joke like that. How come? Because uh, next on your notes, if we're God's people, if we're following Jesus, we are to make an appeal to all mankind. All mankind to come back to God instead of hurry them down the corridor of hell because I'm uncomfortable with their sin. Would I rather push people who've been deceived closer to hell to get out of my way so I don't feel uncomfortable in their sin? Or would I rather stand there as a soldier who's armed with truth because I have his word? Would I rather stand there as a soldier who is operating in the true form of love and example that and reach out to someone who has been deceived and say, hey, everybody can mock you and make fun of you. I'm not going to do that. How come you're not going to participate? Uh, because uh, your sin might just be outward. Mine was inward. Oh, mine was far worse. Jealousy, envy, hatred, arrogance. Oh, man, ate me alive. And the same God that will save me from my, del my delusion of thinking I was better or earned my spot in ministry or all of the things that I've said many times before is the same God that will take care of any other delusion. But I got to know the truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, he's talking about you and me, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that we could be made right with God through Christ. We don't speak for God when we mock and ridicule, put down, shame, heap guilt upon, kick, verbally assault people regardless of their delusion, regardless of the deception that they have participated in because every one of us have been deceived at some point. Remember what it was like when you were deceived and all of a sudden the truth, the light of the truth kicked on in your head and you went, oh my gosh. And then you started going back to think about all the times you've operated in that lie, the things that have come out of your mouth and it was embarrassing and it made you feel this small. At some point in time, regardless of their delusion, if you bring the truth as a soldier of heaven, you bring the truth of the gospel to these people and they, and they accept that. The light's going to turn on for them through the power of the Holy Spirit and they're going to go, oh my gosh, what have I done? And the same soldier who is tasked with presenting the gospel is also tasked with sitting there with them and saying all of your guilt and shame was paid for at the cross. Just repent, change your mind, let's go a different direction, let all of this, 
go away and go forward. How do we deal with people who believe a lie? We must live in a way that's attractive, show them the truth, operate in love, and continue to point them to Jesus. <clears throat> I don't often read from the Amplified version of the Bible because um, just a whole bunch of things, but I, because it adds a whole bunch of like words, but I like this passage in 1 Peter to the way the Amplified version has it because I think they captured the thought and the intent behind the the scripture very well as according to my study. So I put it here. Let's read this one. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from the sensual urges, those dishonorable desires that wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the unsaved Gentiles. Conduct yourself honorably with graciousness and integrity so that for whatever reason they may slander you as evildoers, yet by observing your good deeds they may instead come to glorify God in the day of visitation when he looks upon them with mercy. Um, abstain from the sensual urges, the desires that draw you wage, that wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the unsaved Gentiles. Conduct yourself honorably with grace and integrity. Why? They're going to talk bad about you so that whatever reason they may slander you as evildoers, by observing your good deeds, they will instead come to glorify God. Is the person's soul more important than the lie they may be currently living? Because that lie can be exposed to the truth, instantly change, and then you're left with the person who needs to be reconciled to God. If I walk in here next week with MC Hammer pants on, you can mock me all you want. I have believed a lie. That'll be the limit of it, though. That should be the limit of it. What we should do is find people that we absolutely know are living deceived and do our best as soldiers of the gospel to bring them the truth. So what is truth? <clears throat> what is truth? Very quickly, I got some five things. I think there's five here and some scripture to go with them. What is truth? First bullet point there, Jesus. We sang about it tonight. His name is power. His name is healing. His name is life. <clears throat> John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. Not a way, not one of multiple ways, not a way that you could try. He is the truth. Second thing, faith in Christ sets us free from sin. <clears throat> faith in Christ set us free from sin. John 8, 31 through 36, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Ever heard that statement, the truth will set you free? Yeah, maybe not. What do you mean it's not going to set me free? Are you going to accept the truth? Because if you're not going to accept the truth, then knowing it will be indifferent. It won't matter. But the truth, he's talking to his disciples, and these other people are listening, and he said, you know the truth, that you can only be saved through faith in Christ. That's going to set you free. They took it to mean, like, what do you mean I'm in bondage? I'm out here free. I'm a child of Abraham. No, no, if the Son sets you free, then you're free. Next one, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. In John 16, 12 through 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, that's how he refers to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This means that however the Holy Spirit guides you is the truth. Whatever he reveals to your heart, however he provides an open door for you, he is giving you the true way to go. There's no deception in it. The next thing, scripture. And surprise, surprise, I've got a lot of scripture to go with the scripture one. I'll knock them out real quick here. Ready? Psalm 119, 160. The very essence of your words is truth. This is David talking to God. All your just regulations will stand forever. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 15. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling what? The word of truth. Now this is written to Timothy, Paul's friend. Wasn't written to the greater church at large. He's telling the minister, hey, be careful how you handle scripture because you're handling the word of truth. James 1, 16 through 18. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights and the heavens. He never changes nor casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. The true word here is Jesus. He is referred to as the living word. In the beginning was the word. And his words are captured in what we refer to as God's word. So you've got a double whammy, both barrels of truth when you read scripture. Because you've got Jesus' words direct from the Father who is the truth speaking to you through his word, which is the truth. John 17, 14 through 19. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. This is Jesus talking. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. 
just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Over and over and over again, we find that the word of God is truth. Colossians 1, 3 through 5. This is Paul talking to the church in Colossae. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the what truth of the good news. Why do you come here week after week and almost every week in some way, shape, or form, every person who's sitting behind this mic, sitting here, presenting God's word and teaching God's word is pushing you, is prodding you, is encouraging you, and pointing you to Jesus, the gospel, submission to God, and consuming scripture. Why? Next line in your notes. They are the truth. They're the truth. Matt, you're always talking about the Bible. You're always talking about prayer. You're always talking about submission to God. I get it already. Are we doing it? Are we reading it? Are we spending time with him? Why are we pushing you all the time where it can almost be annoying after a while? Why? Because that's where the soldier gets his orders. These things are the truth. The truth of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the scripture is the core of who we are as believers and followers of Christ. If there is no salvation, there's no reason for you to, to continue following on the teachings of Christ because you can't earn your way into heaven. The message of the gospel, of repentance, of salvation from sin, of all the things we just talked about, how, how faith in Christ is the only thing, through his salvation is the only thing that will relieve you from that guilt of sin. He's the only way. He's the truth, the life. Why are we constantly pushing forward over and over? Because it's the truth. It is the central message of what we're about. It is your core as a believer. It's no wonder that he starts with the belt of truth. Because it's the foundation for believers. It's not just a way we choose to live. It's just not some life philosophy that works for us. It's not just one of the many ways to get to God. It is the foundation of salvation. And we cannot keep that to ourselves. So how do we put on the belt of truth as we wrap up today? We've talked about what the culture sees as, as lies, as their version of truth, which is deception. Talked about what truth really is. How do we put on the belt of truth? Next on your notes. We operate our entire lives, our entire lives from the foundational principles that faith in Jesus is the only thing that leads us to salvation and freedom of sin, that scripture is true, that God's spirit leads us into all truth. If his word, faith in him, the gospel, is the central compass, the foundation for your entire life, 
and nothing that is outside of submission to God and following his direction, if any, nothing outside of that is built on that foundation. Why? Because it doesn't pass the filter of scripture. Selfish ambition, gotta go. Me giving in to my sensual desires and the temptation that the enemy's kind of concocted a scenario for me to act on those desires, gotta go. Those things can't stand. You put on the belt of truth when you commit to and say, this is the core of who I am. It's Jesus, the gospel, and everything else I'm rejecting. Nothing else can be the core, only him. Wrapping the belt of truth around your waist is a commitment to saying, I'm his, he's mine, and there is no one else but him. We choose to believe him. We submit ourselves, our tendencies, our thoughts, and our ideas to him and his word. If we're not arming ourselves, girding ourselves, putting on the belt of truth to protect that core of us as a believer, we are susceptible to believing a lie. And let me ask you, how dangerous is a soldier that's been given false orders? Everybody's got to communicate to the platoon. Everybody in the platoon has to know what's going on, what's the objective, where are we going, what are we doing. There cannot be any confusion because if we're all shooting that way and somebody else is shooting this way, there's going to be a massive problem. How much destruction can we do as people who walk out in the name of God, but we have clothed ourselves with a lie? Reject the culture. Reject what they have presented to us as influence, influencing us with lies. Reject all of that and soak yourself in the truth. Better yet, put on the belt of truth. It'll protect the core of who we are. And that, everything else hinges on. Let's bow our heads as we wrap up this week. <clears throat> this message was challenging and before it's challenging for you, it's challenging for me. I had to do some searching of my own attitudes and actions and reevaluating of my own self to, before I presented this to you. but I don't think that the Spirit of God would prompt this particular message at this time if the people who are going to listen to it are not ready to follow the truth. If you feel correction from the message today, no, it's not from, it's not Matt's correction because I've seen something and I needed to address it. Nope. It's just God's Word and this, His Holy Spirit doing the work. 